Welcome to the Real Birth Podcast, the show where real parents share real birth stories and get really honest about how it went. You might be a first-time expectant parent, or on your eighth baby. Perhaps you're a birth worker, or maybe you just love learning about birth. Whoever you are, you are welcome here. This podcast aims to educate and empower listeners through the real stories of mums and dads. I'm Lucy Hill. I'm a birth worker, mum of two boys, and a complete birth nerd. Join me as I invite all kinds of parents to share their stories of pregnancy, birth, and beyond. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome back to the Real Birth Podcast. This week, my guest is Jenny, who shares her two birth stories. Jenny's first birth was many people's ideal experience, a natural delivery in the water, very little intervention. And so when she was faced with an induction for her second baby's birth, she was unsure she could have the same kind of positive experience. As you'll hear from Jenny's birth stories, she and her team came together and made the birth of her second daughter a truly positive induction. Jenny and I will also discuss her experience of multiple miscarriage and how her forward-thinking GP helped to diagnose her with silent celiac disease, which is a condition linked with recurrent miscarriage. I hope you enjoy listening to Jenny's birth stories. I certainly enjoyed hearing her tell them. And I think this one will be really, really helpful for anyone who is facing induction or wants to know about how they could possibly make an induction more positive. So without further ado, here is Jenny. Hi, Jenny. Thank you very, very much for submitting your story and sharing your birth experiences with us today. Before we get going, could you tell us a little bit about you, who's in your family, where you live, um, anything else you want to share? Yeah, um, so my name's Jenny. I'm a primary school teacher and I have two children, um, Heidi, who has just started school, and Willow, who is two tomorrow, so it's her birthday tomorrow, and my husband, Jason. Um, we live in Surrey. And um, I'm looking forward to sharing my birth story today. Oh, fantastic. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe you're spending your evening with me. And I I remember (laughs) the evening before my son's particularly second birthday was just ah, like wrapping everything and oh, chaos. I did my wrapping today. I was actually working from home today. I was doing some training from home. So I did did the wrapping today and went and bought a big balloon. So we're all ready for tomorrow. As long as you've got the balloon, that's basically the main thing, isn't it? So you have mentioned that you have two lovely children. We'll focus on your second daughter's birth for the most part but it would be really good if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your first birth as well so when it came to becoming pregnant for the first time is that something that you had planned with your partner is it something quite intentional and how did that process go so we got married in 2017 and basically decided that we wanted to um, have a baby the following year and it basically happened straight away we were quite lucky to be honest so yeah it was it was planned Um we obviously hadn't had a child before didn't really expect it to happen so quickly and um, but obviously we were really delighted when we were I was really lucky that I had to be honest a really smooth pregnancy my sister's a midwife so she'll come up quite a bit in my in my stories today throughout the time I was pregnant with Heidi she commented so many times um during my pregnancy about how fortunate I was with how smoothly everything was going um and sort of looking back now I realized really how lucky I was so I had a couple of growth scans um later on in the pregnancy but apart from that um everything was sort of very textbook so I didn't suffer with any morning sickness I think there were literally two times I remember feeling nauseous the whole time I was pregnant so I was really lucky with that and then um in terms of her birth I had planned to have a water birth and 
although the actual process of getting to hospital because I ended up going in quite early on in my labour because I was convinced I needed to and then got sent home again um, but apart from that everything was again really smooth really textbook had a really delightful water birth exactly as I'd imagined it and yeah it was just like a really wholly positive experience and I think in some ways it sort of gave me a really rosy rosy view of pregnancy and birth and I was just really really lucky to be honest and, and really happy with with how it all went yeah. um but yeah so that was that was my first experience and yeah just sort of really smoothly and um, getting pregnant being pregnant and giving birth so yeah mm-hmm. what was the process for you deciding that you wanted to have another child is that something that you were thinking about quite soon after your first baby or probably within the first hour of giving birth I wanted to do it again okay it was that good <laughs> it was that good like I had so many people I've told them like, how I enjoyed giving birth like I would absolutely like, I genuinely think if someone said to me now you can give birth tomorrow I'd be like great here we go like mm. I genuinely really enjoyed it it was such an amazing experience we had always talked about wanting to have um, more than one child and originally we always thought we wanted a three-year age gap for for various reasons um but then we decided that actually um we would aim for a two-year age gap and as I said before, um, in terms of getting pregnant with Heidi, um, it was all really straightforward. And we just sort of naively assumed that that would be the case second time around. So we started trying in order to have another two year age gap. And being a teacher, I really wanted to have September babies. <laughs> and Heidi was actually born on the 30th of September. So she only just edged into being a September baby. But we were really lucky that um, managed to fall pregnant again with so the, the baby would have been due in, due in October. So pretty much, pretty much with what we'd planned. Um, but unfortunately, that that pregnancy ended up in a missed miscarriage um, during COVID, which really wasn't wasn't an ideal scenario to be going through um it was the height of lockdown April 2020 Mm. so that was really not what we'd expected and and not at all not at all the plan Mm. and then that followed by another um miscarriage a much earlier miscarriage this time rather than getting to the 12-week scan and thinking everything was fine and but this obviously put us right out right off course with with the plan and having first time followed the plan and stuck to the plan and achieved everything as we'd wanted to do um it was a bit of a shock really and the timing with covid and everything that was going on it was it was a really difficult time to be honest and yeah and then after the second miscarriage I was obviously quite quite upset about it and it was really difficult and I spoke to my GP who was absolutely excellent like she cannot fault her at all um and she was she was so helpful and what she said was that um with the NHS you obviously have support for repeat miscarriages you have to have had three in a row which yeah. is just horrible like being a mum who's who's going through that you think why do I have to do this again before I get help my GP was brilliant and she um she offered to run the preliminary blood tests that you do before you have um support for repeat miscarriages and actually that showed up something that could have been quite significant and okay. that could explain the miscarriages and um, so I was diagnosed with celiac disease okay which research shows that you're more likely two times more likely in fact um to have repeat miscarriages when you're undiagnosed with celiac disease obviously we'll never know with cause and effect but um one theory is that actually the experience with the first miscarriage um because I had to have emergency surgery after that one theory is that the stress of and the trauma I guess of having the surgery actually kick-started the celiac disease 
um, that is like a known um, trigger because it's an autoimmune disease and it can be yeah, it can be kickstarted by a traumatic experience. And then having the celiac but being undiagnosed could then have been um, an explanation for the second miscarriage. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a very difficult time and it was a few months to get things diagnosed and to get onto a gluten free diet, which doesn't doesn't treat the celiac, but is, is the way to deal with it. And then after being gluten free, I managed to then get pregnant eventually with another September baby due, but a year, a year later. OK, but actually, we were then back on track with the original plan to have a three year age gap. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so obviously a lot happened in that year and a lot that we weren't expecting. That's a big year. In terms of the celiac um, itself, mm-hmm. had you been presenting with any symptoms that might have alerted you to that being a possible cause or possible condition that you had? Yeah, no, not at all. So that was, it It really was quite a shock. I remember the doctor phoned me. It was, it was about 7 p.m. So you know, when you get a phone call, the number you don't recognise. I was like, I don't know who didn't know who this was. And it was it was a doctor. So she's obviously working late or something. And she just said, I've just got your results back. And I wanted to tell you as soon as possible that actually this is what we think. Well, this is what, what you've got. And this is potentially what could have could have caused everything. Because I'd, you know, I'd spoken to her, messaged her a few times um, about how I was feeling and coping with the miscarriages. And I think she really got the sense that I needed some kind of answer, some kind of explanation to help me deal with it. I just I just remember sitting on the floor and thinking, well, what even is celiac? My first question was because she explained about gluten free diet. My first question was, well, can I still eat chocolate? But luckily, the answer was yes. <laughs> no, I hadn't had any um, any symptoms at all. No classic, no classic okay. symptoms. So it was a complete shock. But actually, quite a lot of people do have what's known as silent celiac disease. And she explained that that's why they do the blood tests when you've had repeat miscarriages, because so many people and um, like thousands of people they think in the country are carrying on their daily lives suffering the celiac and the mm. you know the effects of it without actually having any symptoms wow um, once you were able to adjust your lifestyle and your diet to not cure the celiac but kind of keep any sort of flare-up or, or ill effects at bay did you wait until you felt confident that you were doing all those things before you tried for another pregnancy is that something that you felt um, you needed to do? Everyone, everyone I spoke to about it, so the various consultants that I saw, I always just, I always asked, you know, how long after diagnosis can, um, you know, can I start to think about getting pregnant again? And I remember having an appointment with my consultant after I'd had um, the endoscopy where, where they have to look at the physical, you know, the physical damage that's been caused by the undiagnosed celiac. And once I had gone onto the gluten-free diet and she just basically said, yep, it's absolutely fine. Like, go ahead. Uh, once your body's ready, you'll be ready. So, yeah, no, it wasn't it wasn't like I had to to really wait apart from being on the gluten-free diet and knowing that, um, yeah, knowing that my body was recovering. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, I was I was quite lucky. So it was, I think it was October that I went onto the gluten-free diet and then I would have been pregnant by the new year. So it was yeah. a couple of months. Yeah. But because I hadn't suffered from any physical effects, it wasn't like I was waiting to feel better because I never hadn't felt better yeah yeah just the effects of it mentally really like dealing with it and getting over the miscarriages but for me I just had to be pregnant and just had to Mm. just had to move that way so yeah I mean everybody copes very differently to things like loss particularly if it's a a subsequent loss when you've had one before Uh, and 
you know, speaking from personal experience, when I had a, a loss, my first miscarriage, it was, I, I just couldn't try again for a very long time. And then when I had another loss, it was, I then was like, I have to do this immediately. I'm just, I, I completely switched my coping mechanism. And then I was pregnant the next month with my, my son. So it's just, you know, it, it is, um, everybody deals with these things so differently. So when you did fall pregnant again, I imagine obviously there's the joy there because that's what you've you've wanted for so long and you've gone through all this. Was the pregnancy, did it feel different to you given what you'd been through? Yeah, I think um, in hindsight, when I say, like like earlier I mentioned, um, thinking how fortunate I was and sort of listening to my sister and other people being like, what do you mean you're not being sick and all this kind of stuff? And I sort of took it all on board and felt very lucky when I was pregnant with Heidi, but I think it wasn't until I was pregnant with Willow that I sort of got this um, uh, like real sense of, wow, things really were so amazing last time. And it's not that it wasn't amazing, but there was certainly, you know, when I got that positive pregnancy test, I was absolutely delighted, but I was also terrified. And it was a very anxious, a very anxiety filled experience in a way that I, I wasn't with Heidi. I remember with Heidi being very cautious and um, certainly leading up to the 12 week scan because I had obviously heard of other people um, having miscarriages. Um, I'd heard lots of stories from from people I know who are midwives, but I was certainly in a much more heightened state of anxiety and paranoia um, second time round. They um they organized for me to have an early scan. I think it was about seven weeks um with Willow. I, I was just an absolute nervous wreck. And um, I remember saying to the sonographer, Do you get many women like this? And she was like, um, no. <laughs> That's not what you <laughs> want to hear. <laughs> no, I was basically like hyperventilating on the table. Just I was Bless just you. so convinced that that it, it wasn't going to be good news. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a really horrible um experience with the with the 12 week scan with my first miscarriage where I went in alone because of COVID and mm. assuming everything was fine. Cause the sonographer, the first thing she said to me, I'll never forget. She just said, Oh, I'm so sorry. It's a mess, just a mess. Like that was the first thing she said. And I remember looking at the screen and thinking, yeah, that, that does look like a mess, but that's just not what you say to women. No, it's not. No. I have actually, um, I have actually contacted the the hospital hospital trust recently and and told them about my experience and they took it really seriously, which mm-hmm. was great. But um, so yeah, it was very much anxiety filled. At but... this point, had had COVID lockdowns and restrictions eased enough for your partner to be involved more in this pregnancy? Yes. Okay. Yes. So he was he was able to be there for the early scan for the twelve week scan because as things as things progressed, I ended up having quite a lot of scans in this pregnancy so it really was very different to my first one he wasn't there for all of them but restrictions had certainly eased and it was it was much better not to have to go go alone to all of the appointments yeah yeah once you'd had your 12-week scan were you feeling a bit more confident or did you find that the anxiety followed you kind of throughout the pregnancy um no I did I did feel much more confident after that um and also even after the early scan, once I'd seen the heartbeat, because obviously I'd read all these different things about statistics and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So I definitely felt much better after that, having seen the baby and mm. um, yeah, after the 12 week scan. But then it was the next thing was that the 20 week scan where they described her as normal, small. And they were saying how everything's fine, but she's on the small, like baby's on the small side. 
And we just thought, oh, normal small's fine. But she was on the seventh percentile for, for growth, for size. Um, I had like a, a consultant phone me a couple of days later and their tone was was a lot more sort of, actually, we need to do tests. We need to check things. So that sort of burst my bubble of things have calmed down. I'm less anxious. Mm-hmm. I then sort of got, had all these different thoughts and concerns. And I was consultant led in that pregnancy anyway um, because of celiac. But there were sort of a lot more appointments, a lot more um, hoops to jump through, checks to go through. So I would say, to be honest, after the 20-week scan, I just got more and more anxious. Yeah. <laughs> but I did enjoy it. I still really loved being pregnant. And again, I was lucky not to not to suffer with any physical effects, really. Like, I just genuinely really enjoyed being pregnant. It was really fun. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was it was a, it was definitely a really positive experience, but certainly tinged with a lot more anxiety than. Yeah, of course. So, in terms of planning for your birth, mm-hmm. how did how did both the celiac and the issues possibly around your baby's size did mm-hmm. they have an effect on what you were either advised to do or essentially told to do? With celiac, there are links with increased risk of baby being born preterm, so preterm labour, low birth weight, um, and there's just there's just more things to consider. So being consultant-led, I was having lots and lots of growth scans, but luckily her small, she, so she did increase in the percentiles, but basically because she continued on, tra- on a trajectory, they sort of said, well, it's clearly just, you've clearly just got a small baby. So because she wasn't sort of spiking and tr- and going like, you know, up and down, um, they weren't concerned in the end about her size and they did actually sign me off from the consultant. Um, there were talks about needing to be induced at 37 weeks, which teacher me was thinking, no, because that's in August. Yeah. <laughs> in August. Um, but actually, when I was signed off from the consultant, I thought, great, this is fantastic. I can just, you know, go ahead and have have a natural natural labor and birth and and hoped for for similar experience to Heidi. And I'd been so obsessed with with not wanting an induction and wanting it to all be basically I wanted a, a repeat of my first experience. I wanted to go into labor naturally I wanted to be at home as long as possible I wanted to have another water birth and I just wanted to to clone my first labor experience and um, but I then actually had an episode of reduced movement the weekend before she was born and I say reduced movement I basically couldn't feel her move for a good 45 minutes in the middle of the night and obviously had had quite a panic and then um, ended up in hospital they they checked straight away and said everything was fine but then they offered me an induction and I was like yes <laughs> which okay. was quite surprising considering I'd spent the whole pregnancy thinking I don't want to be induced I want a water birth I don't want to be monitored I want to have you know I want to have exactly what I had first time but then as soon as I was sort of faced with the experience of thinking something really was wrong and at such a late stage all I wanted was to to get the baby out and 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 be born yeah. so I think I was like 39 39 and one so okay very very nearly there they just said you know we, you can come back in the morning and we can induce you tomorrow or you can come back on Monday and um, so I decided to that was a Saturday night I decided to go home rest on the Sunday and come back in on the Monday morning and um, but no I had had two other instances of reduced movement which painted the picture and meant I could be offered the induction You'd accepted the induction, which was completely different to your original plan. Um, And you were kind of, I imagine, were able to go home and pack bags. And then you at least, you know, you had a date that you were going to go in. Yeah. What 
options were you given for the induction process or were you told about different methods that they might use what did they go for in terms of getting things going yeah so they talked me through they talked me through the different options um and I went for the pessary in in the end so at this point because you were asked earlier about covid um at this point with an induction I could only have one person with me on the ward so my sister actually came with me and she so she was with me um when I was in the ward waiting to get into into active labor so yeah they put the pessary in I think it was like 10 in the morning and then to be honest I just had them we just had so much fun that day so we ended up wandering around Tesco's we went to there's this like big field near the hospital and I was like doing all these ridiculous exercises I got these photos of me Mm -hmm. doing squats in the field trying to get into labor and she made me walk up and down all these staircases. We went and had went and had lunch. We just had like a really nice day, really relaxing day. And it got to about five o'clock that day when I started to feel contractions and thought, this is great. Things is, you know, starting to get underway. And she could stay until about 10 o'clock that evening. But by 10 o'clock, things hadn't progressed enough. And they said that um, the delivery suite was all really busy. So she ended up going home. Um, and then actually everything just stopped. And looking back, I really wish I had asked someone to explain or to just reassure me. So I just I just sort of thought, well, everything stopped. I'm going to go backwards. But I wish someone had explained to me that actually, the you know, you can stop feeling contractions, but it doesn't mean that you know, that you're going backwards, like things can Mm. just pause for a while. Because I think if someone had said that to me, I would have actually slept that night. (laughs) It's also quite common for, you know, the the day that you've described that you have with your sister there probably filled you with so many kind of happy hormones and you've got all the oxytocin going. And then when she's gone and you're on your own in the hospital, you know, it's not really a surprise that that kind of feeling dips down and therefore maybe your contractions slow down. It's really common people who turn up at the hospital after laboring well at home for it to kind of fizzle out so Mm. so you spent that night kind of worrying that things weren't happening then Uh, uh, yeah just thinking that things had gone backwards that I wasn't making progress that I was going to be in there forever but and they kept um they kept having to monitor me and kept um having to hook me up to to check the baby's heart rate and stuff and it was always fine I kept um texting my sister pictures of the traces and she was like yeah all looks fine um, but I just I just didn't really rest. Whereas if I if they had explained to me that this can happen and it's absolutely fine, I think I probably would have got a bit got a bit more sleep. But then she came back first thing the next morning. We had another fun day, but I was much more tired um, because I hadn't really slept the night before. And the plan was that my husband was then going to join as soon as we were in, gone to the delivery suite because then you could have two birth partners. Okay. Um, so so yeah, they just sort of explained um, that they would check throughout the day how things were progressing and once I was dilated enough I would be sort of in the queue to get a room when when I was ready to be honest I can't remember exactly what time it was maybe about three o'clock um they came to say that that there was space and I had progressed to the right number of centimeters and I remember I just remember this consultant coming in and because I'd asked the midwife maybe about 10, 15 minutes before where I was in the queue and how things were looking. And she was like, well, you know, could be today, could be tomorrow. You don't know. And then just this this consultant um, she just walked in and sort of walked over to us. And she just like, right, let's go and have a baby. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then she was just she was just such a character. She like she she made my sister pick up all my stuff. 
and pack all my things and she just sort of took me by the arm and marched me and was like right we're gonna go and get this baby out and I was like what's wow. going on um, and were you experiencing any discomfort contractions at this time you were just feeling all right in yourself no nothing I just felt like I was walking around wow baby, nothing was happening no, I just felt I was tired but apart from that nothing but obviously something was happening if they I assume had given you an examination to check that you were yeah yeah okay. potentially I had got to that point the night before and yes that, and that was as far as I needed to go to have my waters broken so yeah then it was just the plan was to go and break my waters um and then go from there really to see what was going to happen next okay um, but I remember um walking down and um in my head I still had water birth water birth water birth I want to have a water birth but also at this point I, they explained that I was going to need to be monitored because of the induction because of the reduced movement I would have to have continuous monitoring and um, but they did say they didn't they did sort of say it hasn't totally ruled out the possibility of a water birth so in my head I still thought mm. it may still happen it may still happen and I remember she she walked me down the corridor to the delivery suite and then it was still coming out of COVID times. And the room I was in was actually one that they had had sealed up ready for someone with COVID. Um, so it all felt quite clinical mm. and it was just not what I was expecting. But at this point I was just, cause obviously I'd been in hospital since the morning, the day before, I just wanted, just wanted to get there, wanted to have my room, wanted to give birth. And this was something that was very different to um, Heidi's birth. Cause with Heidi's birth, I was on the sort of midwife led unit section mm. and the room was much bigger obviously there was the pool and then I turned up here and it was a very small room COVID taped around the door um, and there was no pool and so I walked in but it really really surprised myself with how I just thought right okay I'm not gonna have a water birth and I remember turning to the consultant and saying can I just confirm there's no pool here so this means no water birth and she was like yep that's the case and I remember just thinking okay that's fine and I'm sort of someone who really likes likes things planned, likes to know what's mm. happening. So I'm quite surprised actually that I didn't get upset or anything. I yeah. just thought, okay, that's fine. This is, this is plan B and we're going to go for it. And I think if um, you're going to fall apart, that's the moment, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I didn't. I was just I was just really buzzing and excited and thought, let's you know, let's get things underway. And at this point, I phoned my husband, so he was on his way in. And basically the consultant just said, right, lie down. She was going to break my water straight away. I was really nervous about that. So I asked the gas and air. And then I had had so much fun with gas and air in Heidi's pregnancy, uh, Heidi's birth, sorry. I just, it just made me go crazy really, but in a really fun way. So yeah, I had the gas and air and straight away I was talking complete nonsense. I've got this, this video of me just chatting, just complete rubbish. So it was just it was just like straight away from the beginning. It was just really fun. Um, the room was just like filled with laughter. It was just it was just really lovely. So by the time my husband got there within half an hour, um, because my my water's breaking, just got stuff going straight away. I was already yeah back to the contractions. Um, I forgot to mention that I was <clears throat> I'd been using the tens machine the night before something that I used in in Heidi's birth as well and found hugely helpful so by the time he got there I was already hooked onto the TENS machine and already already using that and everything was very much underway I remember him walking in with all the snacks from M&S mm -hmm. downstairs obviously all the gluten-free snacks and had stuff for my sister and stuff for him and I remember looking and thinking I'm not gonna have time to eat all these snacks <laughs> <laughs> but he was definitely expecting sort of a long haul compared to 
what actually ended up happening and I imagine for him as well coming in as an outsider you've been there for however long very different to midwifery led unit walking in and then probably being confronted again by this door that you've been confronted with the covid covid situation probably a bit freaky yeah it's probably a bit oh what am I coming up against and then actually to walk into quite a lovely environment you're happy that must have been reassuring yeah definitely because I remember he the reason why we decided for him to come later and my sister's be there on the ward during the induction process was that we didn't want his paternity leave to start you know right back when he when I was just around playing double especially Um, when you you do hear a lot of stories of inductions taking a really long time and if you if they take four days that's four really precious days so no that's amazing that your sister was able to be there for you yeah definitely and she'd been there for um Heidi's birth as well so it was just we it was we were just really excited to be honest about having that having that time and that experience again together so I remember he'd he'd mown the lawn that afternoon and his he kept Sort of updating his colleagues when he was working and his friends saying like oh this is happening this is happening they're like are you not going to go he was like oh no they've not called me in yet <laughs> so I think he was quite surprised when he arrived how far things had progressed yes so when your waters broke you mentioned that things happened quite quickly yeah what was sort of the time frame and and how did things go from the waters being broken what happened mm. next I remember actually because my waters I wasn't aware of my waters breaking with Heidi because I was in the pool so I remember just being really surprised by how much how much there was and that was the point when the midwife came in actually and it's a bit funny because with my first birth my sister as I mentioned was there um at that point she had finished her training as a midwife and was waiting she had sort of three or four weeks before she started her job and it wasn't in this hospital but by chance she knew my midwife um, because she'd done a placement with the home birth team at the hospital with her so so that was great and I remember feeling really relaxed because I was like oh Kate knows her she's safe she's great so back to Willow's birth my waters had broken and I was sort of laughing hysterically on gas and air and chatting about rubbish and then the midwife came in and I just remember being really confused because Kate knew her as well and I was like how does she know everybody and then um, it turns out that actually the midwife was she used to be a nanny of one of my sister's really good friends, like one of her best friends. So she'd known this woman for years and years and years. And so they just got chatting. And I remember just feeling really relaxed and really at ease and just thinking, how have I lucked out again that we've got someone that that she knows? Because I already felt, I definitely felt an extra layer of safety and comfort knowing that my sister was there with all of her knowledge and stuff. But the fact that she yet again knew my midwife, I just remember being like, what, this is crazy. Mm. Yeah, by the time my husband got there, I was um, fully using the tens machine and yeah, just going through the motions of of the regular contractions. And I, it was definitely pretty painful by that point. Um, but it was it was pretty relaxed. And I remember um, the midwife Andrea. I remember her saying, uh, like her commenting about how there was just so much, just so much. Oh, what's the word she used? Maybe have said so much oxytocin in the room, but she mm. was just talking about how. It was just so relaxed. It was just such a lovely atmosphere. And I think it really helped that my sister knew her. But there was just like the three of us, it just worked really well. Um, yeah. Them supporting me. And it was just, we just had so much fun. And to be honest, as as things progressed and I used more and more gas and air, there was just even more laughter and craziness coming out. So it was just, it was just, it was just really fun. <laughs> it just, I think it really does drive the point home. And I will say this till the cows come home about how important it is who's in your bubble and who you let in your bubble in that moment 
and if you really trust all those people that are in the room with you yeah you can let go you can you can do that big I'm safe you know and then you can do what you need to do and yeah yeah having people that you really feel good with is is a huge part of having a positive experience I think however things you know might end up yeah so tell us about when your baby was born um, I actually had I actually have a video for the last five minutes. It's pretty crazy because um, with with Heidi's birth, um, I wanted I like I wanted Kate to take some pictures. I got a few pictures like at the moment she's born and stuff. But this time I said to her, I was like, well, "I need to film stuff, take more pictures." I've got loads of photos and and videos of um, particularly of me chatting rubbish with the <laughs> with the girl. But um, but she actually filmed the last five minutes. So I've actually got a video of her being born. Um, but obviously not having not having the water birth, it was a, a land birth. Mm. But I think what was so different, but in such a positive way, was how how much the midwife was um, was supporting it all, just guiding things through. Because I think the thing is, in, in water, obviously it's not so hands on. But this time it was very much, you know, she was talking me through it all, chatting through the breathing. Like I just I just felt really really supported and and really really safe to be honest. So yeah, and then and then she was born. And I remember I was I looked down and was convinced that she was a boy oh. on the video, like right at the end. I'm like, it's a boy. And then Kate and Kate and Jason sort of looked at each other like, look again. <laughs> oh, <there's a> girl. <laughs> but I had I had with Heidi, I'd, I'd actually wanted to have I thought I wanted a boy for about seven months of my pregnancy. And then right at the end, I was like, no, 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 I want to have a girl. <laughs> and then with Willow, I just really wanted her to have a sister because um, I wanted them to have the relationship that I have with my sister so I really wanted her to be a girl so not that I would have been disappointed if she was a boy but I think you can tell from my voice I was like it's a boy whereas then I'm like oh so it was just it was just really lovely when when I saw that that's great so yeah. o- overall from kind of having your pessary inserted to your baby being born what was the time frame there Oh, that's a good question. So, oh, or maybe a better question is, how long were you in labour? How long was your birth? Um, well, from waters breaking to her being born was four and a half hours. Okay, that's fast. Yeah, that's, yeah. But I mean, the pessary was ten tenish, ten a.m. the day before. Um, but in terms of being in the delivery room, it was yeah, from about four p.m. to eight thirty, and then she yeah. was there. So, wow, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, and was she able to come kind of straight to you? Um, yeah, yeah. All, all was well, baby on yeah. your chest. Oh, I was, I was um, like the first couple of minutes, I was really, really panicking. I was like, "Is she okay? Please tell me she's okay. Is my baby okay? Mm. Is everything okay?" And actually, that bit of the video at the end isn't very nice to see. Yeah. Um, I think it's just seeing how, even right at the end, I was still still couldn't quite believe that everything was okay. But they were like, "No, no, she's absolutely fine." And so yeah, no, she came straight to me um, and fed her as soon as I could, and um, yeah. And I remember the midwife; she said to me, "Oh, do you want to see your placenta?" Um, and I was like, "Oh, actually, yeah, I do," because mm. I don't, don't remember it last time. And I've even got photos of that where she was just—it was crazy. She was like flipping it inside out and talking us through, and we mm. were just like, "What is this?" But um, but that was really interesting and something that was obviously didn't get to do first time. But I think. Um, I think the biggest thing I've realized in reflection is actually having wanted to clone my first experience the whole pregnancy, then being faced with this complete change of plan, but surprising myself with how comfortable I was with it and how quick I was to go with the induction. 
if if I were to give birth again tomorrow, which I would if I could, mm-hmm. I actually would choose Willow's birth over Heidi's to to have a second time. Yeah. Um, and I think it was the control element in terms of the support at the end. Um, and also I think the experience of knowing when I was going to be in hospital and all that, I didn't have the anxiety of having to travel to hospital and label all of those kinds of things. But um, yeah, surprisingly, I think I would actually would actually vote for a, a land birth if I yeah. <laughs> well this is the thing you don't know until you try do you and you've had both experiences now and something's going to work better for some people so that's yeah. that's amazing and how much did she weigh um so Willow was seven pound one so she was not so out- tiny yeah that's, 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 that's the thing everyone said to me like that whole time panicking all along and mm. she was absolutely fine yeah. a little bit smaller than her sister but I mean nothing but even today she is still pretty short so she is just a dirty little person yeah and some people make smaller babies yeah Yeah. so yeah all that all that stress and anxiety to do with her size and she was absolutely fine how did you find your I mean physical and emotional kind of recovery from those experiences yeah the the physical recovery was certainly harder with Heidi's so after the water birth Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's to do with the fact that I'd been Away, although I hadn't slept well the night before Willow was born but with Heidi I was in labor for about 27 hours awake a whole night really um, and I was just really not bruised but really sore from being in weird positions in in the pool and stuff mm. like that so I was definitely much more physically tired and achy and sore after Heidi whereas Willow I wasn't um, but to be honest I think I, I recovered really quickly both times um, I did have a pretty hideous experience five days postnatal with Heidi, uh, where I ended up back in hospital with query sepsis, which was quite quite scary. Yeah. Um, a bit of a ride in the back of an ambulance, which really wasn't the plan. So that was that was a pretty pretty big shock. Um, and luckily, it didn't sort of interrupt the establishment of breastfeeding. Um, but it was well, that was part of the issue is that I'd been diagnosed with um, with mastitis that day, but also another infection and then the, my GP thought it was a good idea to give me um a flu vaccine at the same time so they gave me a live vaccine whilst giving me antibiotics for two different infections and then I just went home and thought okay and then ended up in an ambulance a few hours later and um, luckily it wasn't sepsis but that sort of interrupted the first week at home mm. quite dr- quite dramatically but um second time around I didn't have didn't have anything like that um I found it I found it tricky because I had such an oversupply of milk. So I had to have support with the feeding team um, at the hospital where they were brilliant both times. Um, and Willie had a tongue tie, so that that was cut quite early on. So I think the the physical side was more to do with establishing feeding and trying to work out mm. milk levels because my body seems to produce like three times as much milk as it needs to. Wow. So that was that was the biggest challenge really with the recovery process. And emotionally, I remember just being on a complete, complete hormone high after Heidi and being completely shattered and not really wanting help and wanting to sort of go out as quickly as I could, showing her off to everybody. Whereas second time round, I definitely took more time to rest, took more help from people. But obviously it's different second time because I had an, a child who's about to turn three zipping around all over the place. Um, so it was it was a very different experience. But I think recovery wise was definitely much more positive second time mm. um yeah it was it was that's great it was fine, really. I think yours is a great example of 
you know, your first birth is maybe what everybody thinks they want. And it's, and, and I'm so pleased that, you know, you got it and it was everything that you planned. And then the second birth in on paper is what people kind of are afraid of maybe is, you know, a replication, like you say, they want to have the experience that you'd had the first time. And then all of a sudden the frightening words start coming up like induction and, you know, land birth when they didn't want that. And actually you've had a positive induction experience. And I, I think people really will really value hearing that because there's so much out there. Like you say, when you wanted to avoid induction and, or, or, when you start to look into things, maybe Googling other people's experiences, you know, it's it can throw things up that are frightening. And so it's really lovely and important to hear that you can make inductions positive. It was you... it was a genuinely enjoyable experience. Yeah. I think the worst part of my induction was when they brought me breakfast on the second day and they forgot that I was gluten-free and they went off and came back with um boiled potatoes and an apple that was my breakfast offering because apparently that was all they could offer me so I remember just laughing and thinking what is this I feel like I wouldn't have even brought that to you I would have just been like I'm sorry we don't have anything that's too embarrassing so if if that was the worst part of the induction experience for me I think I was yeah, I think you've done pretty well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Uh, well, thank you for sharing both your stories again. Something I like to end with is to ask my guests if they had to give a piece of advice to somebody who's about to have a baby or maybe even to your past self mm-hmm. about the whole process of pregnancy, labor and birth. What would you advise them? Maybe something that you found really helpful or even just, a, I don't know, piece of positive information similar to what you said actually about it's important that people hear the positive read as much as you can read read as many positive experiences as you can talk to people in a positive way and I think when I was pregnant with Heidi so many people told me horror stories and so many people told me their negative birth experiences and I remember thinking I don't need to hear this whereas second time around I remember actually sort of advocating for myself a bit more like oh actually that's not going to help me thank you yeah and I remember I remember a couple of people starting to tell me horror stories and I just second time around I actually said no I don't need to hear this perhaps I would tell first time round me that actually it's okay to ask people to stop telling you things surround yourself with positivity and stand up for yourself when you don't need to hear the negativity that people seem to assume yeah. pregnant women <laughs> I think that's really good advice it's like setting a boundary that's totally yeah. okay to set and I think in some instances people want to know a bit more about the the things that could happen that isn't their plan but yeah. it's up it's up to them to take those steps to find that information in a way that feels safe to them so what they don't need is somebody coming up to them randomly and saying oh well I had this happen and you know if, if what you're afraid of are those things actually in your own time in a controlled manner you can look into those things And that's part of the reason I like sharing lots of different stories on this platform is because I feel like if somebody is going to be induced and they're frightened of that, what they don't need is so-and-so coming up to them, telling them about how awful theirs was. They, They can search for induction stories and then they can listen to it if they want to. Or if they're worried about, I don't know, transferring to hospital from a planned home birth or, or an emergency cesarean, 
they can pick and choose what they want to listen to and they don't have to listen to the rest and it's completely under their control. So yeah, good piece of advice. Say no to unsolicited stories and um, yeah, do your own own research of the things that you that you want to if you if you want to i think yeah yeah, i think that's a very good piece of advice to end on uh thank you again jenny no it was my pleasure thank you so much thank you so much jenny for sharing your stories with us today if you enjoyed this week's episode or if you know someone who would please do share it with them and if you are feeling generous i would love it if you could take a moment to rate and review the show on whichever platform you use to listen to podcasts it really helps me to be more visible to more people if you would like to connect with me you can follow the podcast over on instagram at real birth podcast or i'm on facebook under the real birth podcast my website is www.realbirth.co.uk where you can find out more about the show and you can also submit your birth story for consideration. Huge thanks again. That's all we have for this week and I'll see you soon. Bye. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. (laughs) To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.